Hey everyone, welcome to the 34th episode of the Liam McCollum Show. Scott Horton is joining me again, and we are going to talk about um, the current state of things with Donald Trump on his way out as a lame duck president. Um, we will also be talking about the prospect of a Joe Biden foreign policy. We'll we'll get in the weeds with some of the wars, uh, but if, if you kind of want the background to the wars that we reference, you might want to check out my previous episodes with him, episode one and episode 11, which I will tag in the description. You definitely don't need to listen to those to understand what he has to say, but um, this is a very interesting conversation. Scott is a hilarious dude and he's super knowledgeable. And so, um, yeah, let's jump into it. All right. Thank you, Scott, for joining on again. Um, it's really a pleasure to have you. Yeah. Happy to talk to you as always. How are you doing? Good. Um, so today I just wanted to bring you on and talk about the prospect of a Joe Biden presidency and foreign policy. Um, mm-hmm. But to kind of catch up on what's going on right now, uh, Trump's been firing some officials. Do you have any thoughts on that? And maybe the hiring of, uh, I think it's Doug McGregor. Yeah. Well, so, um, I don't really know much about the guy who is the new secretary of defense. Other than that, he's a former green beret and he was on the national security council. And they're saying he's a Trump loyalist is why he's been installed there. And the one other detail, I don't know if this is true. It's the notorious, CIA stenographer Charlie Savage at the New York Times um, put out a report that said that this guy tried to broker a secret deal to get out of Somalia. He wanted to work with the Qataris to make a deal with the leaders of Al-Shabaab that if they would either kill or somehow marginalize the few most Al-Qaeda tied guys in their leadership, that we would go ahead and call it quits and leave the country. And then Mike Pompeo crushed that and stopped that from happening. Mm. But that, you know, might go to show, you know, where he's coming from, that he agrees with the idea of getting out of there. But he's now the secretary of defense. And then, as you mentioned, uh, Douglas McGregor is also there. He's now the senior advisor to the secretary of defense. And McGregor is, you've probably seen him on the Tucker Carlson show. He is essentially a conservative anti-war guy. He's the hero of the great tank battle of Iraq War One, and at that time was General McMaster's commanding officer um, as the commander of that, I guess, tank battalion or however it was exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he's known as a real, uh, you know, brilliant guy, a strategic thinker and, you know, a really important guy in the U.S. Army for deciding how to approach this or that, you know, question. And but he's an iconoclast. You know, and clearly, if you've seen him on the Tucker Carlson show, his point of view is essentially a Ron Paulian point of view that we don't need to be an empire. We don't I don't know if he ever uses that term, but all this stuff Mm -hmm. about leading the world by occupying it all and intervening and regime changing and picking all these fights that not only is it not necessary, it's counterproductive to the long term future of this country. Well, short and medium term for that matter. And um So he just knows better than all this stuff. And he really is a brilliant guy. And apparently, I really don't know this for certain, and we'll have to wait and see what happens. But apparently he has been given the job for the purpose of getting us out of Afghanistan, first and foremost, and then maybe Somalia, if we're lucky. Um, If a miracle happens, Iraq and Syria too. But I, I wouldn't count on any of this. I mean, I'm never one to preach hope and change for anything. But I think... 
if you were going to hire, if, if Donald Trump was going to hire a guy to cover his right flank while ending some wars and saying it's the tough but smart thing to do, Douglas McGregor absolutely is the number one best guy to get that done. And they've got yeah. 10 weeks. Okay. How and they got a lame duck presidency, right? So, I mean, who knows? The military might just say, screw you. We're not going to do anything. We like our Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan, and we're keeping it. And they might just drag their feet, you know? Yeah, I don't know if you saw. Um, it was either today or yesterday. <clears throat> some top officials, Jim Jeffrey, uh, mm -hmm. announced that he lied to Trump about how many troops were in Syria. So, I mean, we could have something like that as well. Yeah, yeah and there's a great quote, actually. He says, um, you know, Trump in 2018 and 2019 he said we defeated isis let's get out and then they both times came up with a list of five reasons why we can't and yeah. then he gave in both times and this is just what i said about him from 2015 on his heart might be in the right place or his instincts might be in the right place on some of these things but he doesn't really know anything he doesn't really believe anything and if he gets into an argument with these guys and their argument is necessity he's not going to be able to win right he doesn't know anything about it and so he can't say to them come on how does fighting local pashtuns in their neighborhood in helmand province secure our liberty here they didn't knock down the towers a bunch of saudis and egyptians did like he doesn't know enough to engage in a real fight well yeah. i don't feel that way yeah but we do and it's really important okay fine and he just gives in over and over and over again because he doesn't have the wherewithal he doesn't sit and read a thing I keep going back to this. It's the most obvious example of this um, is for three years and hell, they brought it back. You can call it four years, but for three years, you know, outright, you had the FBI counterintelligence division and the CIA essentially mounting what amounted to a push against the elected president of the United States. First, the major party candidate for president and then the president-elect and then the president himself they even talked about trying to invoke the 25th amendment to get rid of him because he was a traitor in the pocket of vladimir putin and the whole thing was a lie all of it none of it was true none of it i mean go through just like the case against saddam hussein it's 25 times zero still zero pal he had a hundred excuses none of them are anything at the end of the day none of them add up and it was the same thing here and yet Here's the most powerful man in America. He's sitting in the chair at the Resolute desk in the Oval Office, and he can't summon the wherewithal to mount a defense against this at all. What did he do? He'd go on Twitter and he'd go, unfair. Mean to me. Yeah. Meanwhile, you had a, a solid, what, eight or 10 or 12 good journalists in America who would not stop debunking this hoax, right? And never mind the brilliant genius tactic of Trump citing Aaron Tate and Matt Taibbi and Glenn Greenwald, who are liberals and leftists and don't like him, but also don't like lies and are telling the truth about a guy that they don't like, who they don't support, but they're essentially acquitting him of the worst accusation against him because it's just not true. Right. So never mind being a brilliant genius and saying, look, even at the Nation magazine, they're running 7,000 word things about how I didn't do it. But he can't even cite the Wall Street Journal. He can't even cite the Daily Caller. 
He can't even cite the Federalist where these guys were working full time for three years correctly arguing his brief yeah. that he didn't do it. It's not true. Papadopoulos, innocent. Page, innocent. Sessions, innocent. Flynn, innocent. The Trump kids at the Trump Tower meeting, nothing happened there. Nothing. Even the DNC hack of the server, they never proved that the Russians did that. And in the Mueller report, they never even pretended to demonstrate a chain of custody that it was the Russians who gave this stuff to WikiLeaks to post. They didn't even try. The whole thing was a damn lie. All of it. And all that Donald Trump could do, even when it's his own skin and his own presidency on the line, the best he can do is say, witch hunt, unfair, boo-hoo, because he's too lazy and stupid to even read a page about how he is not guilty. Right. I mean, now how's he supposed to really get his hands around anything if he can't even defend himself when he's being falsely accused of treason, for God's sake? You know, I mean, come on. Well, I mean, that's why I keep saying I don't know what you think about um, Rand Paul, but if he ends up pulling this off, if if we do leave Afghanistan, I think Rand Paul's tactic, patting Trump on on the back, serving his ego, I think it it actually is kind of doing something. Trump is someone you need to appeal to his ego. Yeah. uh, In order to get it's all personal. That's right. It's all personal to him. Yeah. But, you know, I, I actually know a guy who knows the president. And I sent him an email and I said, listen, you know, I'm not going to bother you with this stuff, but I got to say one time here, if you're in the same room with this guy, you have a chance to talk to him between now and the election or, you know, sometime soon. And if it's appropriate for you to bring this up, tell him that, listen, if you end all the wars, that is this summer, that is the best way in italics. To screw the Democrats. Yeah. Right? Forget the, you know, even the the soldiers over there risking their skin for nothing. Forget destroying these other people's countries for no good reason. But you know how to throw a nuclear hand grenade into the Democratic Party? End a bunch of wars. Look how many wars we got. You could stop bombing Afghanistan on the 1st of June. No, on the 1st of July, stop bombing Yemen. And on the 1st of August, stop bombing Somalia. And on the 1st of September, stop bombing Iraq. On the 1st of October, stop bombing Syria. By election day, you're Trump the Great, right? right? And meanwhile, the Democrats are going nuts because Donald Trump was, I mean, what does that do to Joe Biden? That means that Joe Biden has to attack Trump from the right. And say yep. you're so irresponsible for pulling out of the wars, which is what everyone in America wants, and especially what the left wants. And I don't mean the liberal Democrats, but I mean the leftists, the progressives, the socialists, and the anarchists, and the communists, or whatever, the real ideological leftists. They hate this empire. Mm-hmm. And if Trump had ended all the wars and forced Biden to attack him from the door, from the George W. Bush position of why it's all so necessary, the entire left half of the Democratic Party would have stayed home. Right. And Trump would have won. And the entire everyone else would have been jazzed as hell about it, no matter what the media said about it. No, what, no matter how many times H.R. McMaster tried to compare Trump to Neville Chamberlain capitulating to Hitler for getting out of Afghanistan. Yeah, because the Taliban is the German Nazi Wehrmacht, you know, um, ready to conquer the all of the continent of Europe. 
Right. You know, don't capitulate to them after 18 years of McMaster, by the way, helping lose that war. When get this, McMaster's job during the Petraeus surge was abolishing corruption in Kabul. You think McMaster accomplished his mission in the Afghan war? Yeah, exactly. It's not even worth answering with anything but a laugh. And this is the guy who says that we can't leave now. It's only been 19 years. That would be a precipitous and hasty withdrawal, a premature evacuation, a, a horrible thing to do. Right. And uh, before we get into Biden, um, what are your thoughts on the peace deals going on? Uh, and not just Taliban, the Taliban peace deal, but every other um, country and the peace deals with Israel. Are they just superficial um, do they actually do anything? Are they are they binding? Um, All right. So here's the deal with that. Great question. So the the uh, Arab deals with Israel are the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain, and then now Sudan have signed what they're calling peace deals. Now these countries weren't at war with Israel, right? The question is now a deal for official recognition, basically. And what had happened before was all the Arab states were agreed that they would never officially recognize Israel until Israel gave up the West Bank and let the Palestinians at least keep the measly stinking 22% left of Palestine that mm -hmm. they have. And the Israelis, of course, are determined to take even that from them. And so um, the Arab states had all said, well, we won't recognize Israel on an official basis until you fix that and either you know, make the Palestinians citizens and give them equal rights or give them independence and let them go and secure their own rights on the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, the so-called two-state solution. Now what's happened was Trump bribed and strong-armed these countries enough that he got them to drop that condition. So now they're going ahead and they're recognizing Israel without getting anything for the Palestinians at all, which doesn't really change anything other than it increases trade between those countries, which is, you know, good for them in an economic sense. And it helps Netanyahu politically in Israel because he gets to say, see, I made peace with the Arab states and I didn't have to give up a damn thing. Vote Likud. Right. And so that ends up helping the Israeli right and, you know, screwing the Palestinians again. You know, they're the ones who get the shit on this. And you'll hear oftentimes the pro-Israeli side saying, well, look at the other Arab states. They obviously don't care about the Palestinians. Well, yeah, that's right. But so what? <laughs> so that means you're equivalent to the Sultan of Brunei or whatever who doesn't give a damn about these people. You know, why is that the standard of morality that? Well, if the the emirs and kings and el presidentes of the Arabian Peninsula don't care about them, then we don't have to. Right. You know, well, if they're the scum of the earth, then. Seems like we would do the opposite of whatever it is that they think. Maybe we should put the Palestinians first for a change, you yeah. know? Yeah, because I, I was just curious, like, if any of them were actually against Israel in the first place. Like, I mean, not really. It's, not, right, it's nothing substantial. So, right. Um, but yeah, now to get into Biden, um, I kind of want to start with whether or not there's a silver lining to it and what your perspective of him is in that respect in general. Okay. I mean, yeah, if you want to start off on the positive, and I don't mean this just to be a dirty SOB, but I mean, it's really a thing. Um, he killed his own son in Iraq War II. 
See, people say about Biden, well, he supported the war in Iraq. He didn't just support the war in Iraq. He was George W. Bush's handmaiden in lying us into that war. He was the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He could have stopped that war by himself. But not only did he not do that, he led the Senate Democrats in supporting that war and insisted that Kerry and Hillary and all the rest of them all get behind Bush and support the authorization. Held bogus hearings where only hawks were allowed to testify for a couple of days. The people who could have debunked the entire case for war were forbidden from showing up. And for years he supported it. And he lies like a damn dog about it now. About how, oh no, I turned against it immediately and started denouncing it the next day and all this stuff. Not true at all. That's all been fact-checked to death, too. It's just not true. He constantly lies like that. He lies like Trump does. About yeah. Whatever comes off the top of his head that he thinks sound good, he'll say it. Oh, me? Yeah, I got a PhD from Harvard or whatever. No, you right. don't. You know, what are you talking about? I graduated at the top of my class. Like, hey, we have records. No, you didn't. You know, all this stuff. He always does that. He yeah. said that he got arrested trying to go meet Nelson Mandela in South Africa. No, you didn't. You know, not any more than Hillary Clinton got shot at by snipers on the tarmac right. in Bosnia or Brian Williams helicopter got shot down in Iraq. Like, these guys are just telling stories. You know, he does that constantly. Um, but anyway, the point about him getting his son killed was his son did not get shot over in Iraq or blown up. What he did was he got brain cancer from the burn pit. He was stationed, I believe it was next to the Mosul Dam. And there's a giant burn, burn pit there. And I'm here to tell you, thousands of American GIs, men and women and officers and whoever of all descriptions, uh, sailors and airmen and whoever got uh, poisoned by these burn pits. And many of them got cancers and uh, respiratory diseases and all kinds of other like serious damage from this stuff. This is basically take if you think about all the waste from an army base, I mean, yep. computers and tires and old ammo and God knows what else, you know. Um, all just thrown in there and then splashed with diesel fuel and burned. I mean, the heavy metals in your computer motherboards as they burn and what I, who knows what all is in that crap. And so these guys all got poisoned as hell. And Biden didn't care about that or know anything about that. And we've been covering this. There is a lot of people who are advocating for these veterans. We've been covering it as, you know, kind of a special side project at antiwar.com for years, keeping our eye out for that. The great Kelly Vallejos from the American conservative and now at the Quincy Institute, she has written about this for years and years. In fact, John Stewart, remember John Stewart made such a big deal about advocating for the firefighters and all the first responders from New York who'd gotten poisoned from all the smoke from the towers and all that. Well, his next big project is advocating for the burn pit victims. Of course, never mind the Iraqis and how many of them had to breathe in all of that crap, little kids and old ladies and everybody else too. Um, but what happened was Joseph Hickman, who you should, everyone should know Joseph Hickman anyway. He was the heroic tower guard at Guantanamo Bay. I know you're going, what's heroic about that? He blew the whistle on the fact that the CIA murdered three guys one night in 2006 and tried to cover it up. And Joseph Hickman was a heroic army sergeant who didn't let them get away with it. Oh, they got away with it. But he told the truth about it. And that's right. how we know about Camp No, they called it down there, the CIA black site over the hill at Guantanamo Bay and the murder of three men there. But anyway, so this same great guy, Joseph Hickman, wrote a book called The Burn Pits. And it's all about this stuff. And he gave an entire chapter to Bo Biden. And it was only then, I forgot how I know this, but I read this somewhere, that somebody said to Joe Biden, hey, you know there's this book out and they have an entire chapter about your son. 
and how this is what happened to him. And it was only then that he was even aware that this was a problem. And, you know, there's the footage. Again, you asked me to try to be charitable here. There's the footage of the veterans confronting him and saying, hey, you lied us into war. How can we support you? And we lost friends over there. And he goes, oh, yeah, well, my son, too. And it was kind of unfair because and they go, well, um, I didn't say anything about your son. And he goes, yeah, well, you better not. Well, he was the one who brought up his son. You know what I mean? They didn't bring up his son. You better not say anything about him. And then he got all mad and stormed away like they had said something that was unfair, which was totally not right. right. But the point being, that's not the real point. That I mean, that's the truth happened there. My point being that that really bothers him that he killed his good son, not the crackhead, but the one that he actually loved, you know, that that he killed him. It's not just that he died in Iraq. He knows he was the chair of the Foreign Relations Committee when George Bush lied us into that war. He knows it was his fault that his son's dead. And if he's not an absolute psychopath, which I don't think he is, I just think he's a really lousy Democrat politician, then that's got to really get to him. That's got to really bother him. And, you know, I think this is before his son, quite a bit before his son was sick. He opposed the Iraq war surge of 2007. That might have just been politics, but he, you know, had had enough. The James Baker report was saying we should get out by the spring of 08. They had finished that report in the fall of 06. And um, most of the establishment was going along with that. And then Bush, of course, announced the surge and extended the war even longer. And that was a something that was something that Biden opposed at the time. And then in the Obama government, he was among the civilians. He and Douglas Lute, who was the general, the so-called war czar. Imagine we have that in America. The presidents are so busy with so many wars, they can't keep track of them all. They have to have a war czar, a general that sits on the National Security Council and tells them what the hell is going on. Bush invented it. I don't think Trump has one, but Bush and, and Obama had... I forgot who, and then Lute, who was the first one. Anyway, um, but Douglas Lute, who is a two-star general, I think, maybe a three, um, he and Biden argued for the minimal plan on Afghanistan. And that was send a couple more brigades, 20,000 men, and the focus would not be on fighting the Taliban, because forget it. Let's just focus on counterterrorism, meaning any foreign fighter, Al-Qaeda-type guys who show up. Yeah. Now, um, and to his credit, he really tried to convince Obama, you don't have to do this, right? He didn't just say, well, my advice is this and put it on the table. Like he apparently, you know, according to good journalism, tried to get Obama to not do it. And then Obama ended up giving in anyway and escalated the full scale surge up to 100,000 men, uh, another 40,000 NATO troops and extended the war another seven years and lost anyway, right? Uh, yep. Eight years, didn't didn't accomplish a thing for it. Um, but he was took the better position on that. And they say that he was better on, you know, took the anti or at least the minimalist position on Libya and Syria and Yemen. But I don't know that that is true. I only nope. hear most vague sort of, you know, detail, you know, not details, the most vague sort. Oh, yeah, he was against it. But like never even a story, never an anecdote about. Yeah, they had a debate like we know about Libya. No, no, I take that back. We know about Libya. Um, because there was good reporting on this. I don't know about Syria and, and Yemen, but on Libya, it was like this. It was it was the vice president, Biden, the secretary of defense, Gates, the um, national security advisor was McDonough and um, and his deputy 
uh, or what's his name, Rhodes. Or I, I think Rhodes maybe supported it. I forget. But it was, and then and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Dempsey, they all told Obama, don't do it. All the men, all the guys with the national security state jobs said, don't do it. And then on the other side was Secretary of State Clinton, the chief Depl- diplomat leading yeah. the Hawks. And is her and the UN ambassador, um, Susan Rice, and Samantha Power, who at that time was on the National Security Council, as she play, as she complained, assigned to doing do-gooder, rinky-dink stuff like protecting Christians in Iraq. And she wanted a promotion, so she pushed for the big war in Libya. And she got Susan Rice on board, and they went to Hillary and got her on board, and they went to Obama and got him on board. And um, so, no, Biden was on the good side of that argument, although okay. like he could have said, excuse me, everyone, I'd like a moment in private with the president here. And like, for God's sake, man, what are you doing? Like, he didn't do that. He didn't he didn't say I'm resigning over this, dude. If Ronald Reagan can bomb Libya for a couple of days in direct response to a terrorist attack that killed American soldiers. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. You're going to start a full scale regime change war without Congress, without the slightest bit of authority on a trial that might happen if we. Right. And you're going to and you know, <laughs> you know, Reagan was pushing the limit, bombing him for two days. You're going to launch a war for nine months and do a regime change right after we just saw what happens in Iraq War Two. You're going to do this again in Libya. Mm-hmm. I quit. Bye. He could have done that and he didn't. He could yeah. have done that and run for president in 16 and won. And yes. Didn't. I mean, is there anything really about the situation there right now? Because I know, I mean, there's slavery in Libya now as a result. Um, oh, it's just chaos. It's been unending civil war this entire time. Yeah. Is there any sign that, I mean, being who Biden is with the establishment around him, is there any sign that we would, or any reason they would want to pull out now that there's more chaos there? Well, I mean, so we don't really have forces on the ground there other than spies or maybe some special ops guys, you yeah. know, picking sides and dropping bribes and stuff like that. They did have a big offensive in 2016 against the ISIS stronghold in CERT, but mostly it's, you know, support from the outside. Okay. But it's going to be chaos in Libya forever, man. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess it's possible that you could have the dominant power in the East and the West come to a deal where they just split the country in half, but then they have civil wars within those halves as fighting over power there. I mean, it's Mad Max time there now, but it's, they might as well have nuked that place, dude. They just completely ruined it. Yeah. It was completely ruined it. And you know, the, the worst thing in the world, man, is Kamala Harris was saying, we're going back to Syria. We got to start supporting democratic forces in Syria, meaning Al Qaeda suicide bombers, head choppers and lunatics sworn loyal to Ayman al-Zawahiri, the butcher in New York City. That's who they mean. Against mm-hmm. who? Against a dictator in a three-piece suit with a clean-shaven chin. The guy whose only job is protecting the Christians and the Druze for being wiped off the face of the earth by these jihadist lunatics. Alawites. Christians to Alawites to the grave. You know, these are the guys that... This is the one, I mean, other than trying to meet with Kim Jong-un and work out a thing in Korea, this was the single best thing Trump ever did, was call off Obama's CIA support for the al-Qaeda terrorists in Syria. I'll never forget, you can look this up and laugh your ass off. Washington Post headline, June 2017. 
in move sure to please Vladimir Putin, Donald Trump ceases support for CIA effort in Syria. In other words, he's guilty of treason for calling off support for Al Qaeda terrorists. Yeah. That's the Washington Post. He's the kook, and they're the grown-ups in the room here to provide stability. Yep. Return us to the good old status quo of back when everything was fine. Yeah, and um, with that in general, are we do you think that a Biden presidency would still back the Saudis in Yemen? Um, with He pro- says he won't. Okay. He's promised to end it, but flip a coin. I mean, I don't know. I don't believe him. Yeah. I mean, do you think that they'll implement a new Iran deal or something like that and then have to placate the Saudis again? You know, that's a great question. Um, You know, honestly, man, I don't know how they've been able to rationalize support for the war in Yemen at all. I mean, if if Joe Biden knows anything about it and has the slightest bit of decency whatsoever, he's going to end it on January 20th, which he could just like Donald Trump. He could end it with a spoken word. Yeah. At the, if he absolutely had to, a flick of his magic marker. That's it. I said, turn it off. And it's over. You know, chief of staff, call Mohammed bin Salman's chief of staff. Tell him I said, that's it, pal. We're done. And that's it. It's over. That's it. And that's all it takes. And um, so, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not betting on hope and change this time. But he has said that he means to do that. Um, and shut that down. Now, as far as the nuclear deal with Iran, you know, again, presuming the best, the smart thing to do would be to say to the Ayatollah, hell, send John Kerry over there and say to the foreign minister, all right, look, man, you got to give us like a 50 mile shorter range on your missiles or something. Give us anything mm-hmm. and we'll get back in the deal because otherwise the Israel lobby's not going to stand for it. And Joe Biden doesn't have the stones that Obama did on this deal. Obama had too much on to get this. And and look, he had to face down Netanyahu. I mean, this is huge. This is a thunderclap when Barack Obama gave a speech on TV and said, look, I have heard the prime minister of Israel's opinion on this loud and clear. And I have taken it into account. Okay, however. I am the president of the United States of America, and my job is the interest of the United States of America. And thank you very much for your opinion. But yes, we're doing this tough. And that's huge, man, for a president to say that to the prime minister of Israel, to say that to the American people about the prime minister of Israel is huge. And he did that. Would Joe Biden stick his neck out like that? I doubt it. And, you know, Obama, I'm not saying Obama was a courageous guy, but I just he had enough on the line in terms of his reputation by that point for seeking this deal the way he did, that it would have been too much of a face for him to not see it through at that point. Right. Now, Occam's razor explanation there. It wasn't his moral courage. I know it wasn't that. Um, But so if the Ayatollah is smart, he will say here, Joe Biden, here's a five year longer sunset provision on something or another. And here's a little something to save face and get back in the deal. And let's do it. They'd be crazy not to. And I don't think the Ayatollah is crazy, frankly, the old mean old Ayatollah, who knows? I don't know. Ronald Reagan sold him missiles, but, uh, Ali Khamenei, he's no threat to the United States and he doesn't mean any harm to the United States either. He knows better than that. What is he stupid? No, he's absolutely not stupid, nor apparently is he 
you know, uh, some kind of insane ideologue or, you know, hateful anti-Semite or whatever who has some belief system that's going to cause him to do something irrational. No. I mean, look at his behavior. He hasn't done the worst thing. And I'll go ahead and accuse him. I don't mind. The worst thing the Ayatollah has done in this century is he helped George W. Bush destroy Iraq by taking George W. Bush's side. People say, oh, the Iranians fought against us there. Hell, Bush fought that whole war for Iran while refusing to talk to them all along. He was taking the side of their guys, the Islamic Council and the Dawa Party. Been living in Iran for 30 years, ever since Jimmy Carter hired Saddam to invade Iran after the Iranian Revolution in 1980. And the revolution was in 79, the invasion in 80. And these were the Iraqi Shia who fled to Iran, who lived in Iran the whole time. Now they come back and Bush puts them in power. And he wants to blame Iran for ruining everything in Iraq. Well, who's their humble servant, dude? Simple as that. And, And yes, they did because they had a policy of what they call strong federalism, which meant they didn't really want all of Iraq. They just wanted southern southeastern Iraqi Shia stand, the predominantly Shiite region of the country. Oh, and by the way, we'll take the capital city too, which meant a massive sectarian cleansing campaign against the Sunni Arabs out of Baghdad and any of the cities of the east of the country to force them all out to the west. And they were very intermixed. I mean, it's predominantly Sunni in the west and predominantly Shia in the east, but they're very mixed, especially in the cities. So this is why it took five years to wage this essentially genocidal civil war against the Sunni Arab minority of Iraq, all of it on behalf of the Ayatollah. And when the U.S. Army is embedding with the Bada Brigade or the Bada Brigade is embedding with the U.S. Army, who's zooming who, man? Who's the boss in that situation? Donald Rumsfeld is using the Bada Brigade? Or the Bada Brigade is using Donald Rumsfeld, huh? Is there a difference? And does it matter? Look, the proof's in the pudding. At the end of the war, the Dawa party leader, Maliki, said, thanks for the help, America. Now get the hell out. We got everything we need from you already, and now we got our alliance with our Iranian friends next door. Don't need you for one more day. Bye. So are they sons of bitches, and did they help kill a hundred, I'm sorry, a million people there in that civil war? Yeah, they did. But... It's George Bush. In the words of the king of Saudi Arabia, it was George Bush that handed Iraq to Iran on a yeah. golden platter. That's in the WikiLeaks. Thank you, Chelsea Manning. Yeah. And well, Julian Assange. Yeah, last time we talked, uh, we, we talked kind of about how um, coronavirus was going through these countries and kind of um, screwing them over, especially Yemen. Um mm-hmm. But has there been anything significant that has happened in these countries? Um, I know Iran, there's been the issue since the Soleimani assassination. They they named one of their missiles after him. Is there any escalation in these countries that we need to be aware of? Or Because um, uh, something that I was very worried about is that the, the coronavirus would uh, kind of distract from what's going on. Oh, yeah. Make it easier for them to do something worse. Yeah. yeah. No, in this case, I don't think so. In fact... You know, okay, so go back. It was December the 27th. There was a rocket attack on an American base in Iraqi Shiistan. Now, this is what I call Iraq War three and a half. This is the mopping up exercise after the destruction of the Islamic State. This is still fighting with the Shia or again fighting with the Shia against what's 
left of the ISIS radical insurgency, which is not much. Okay. But then they got rocketed. And for some reason, I don't think intelligence, I think politics. Yeah. They did not. This was an ISIS attack on our guys. They assumed that this attack was by Shiite militias, namely Khatib al Hezbollah, mm-hmm. which is a radical Shiite militia sponsored by Iran, but that is essentially an adjunct of the same Iraqi army that our special operations forces are an adjunct of, right? Yeah. They're acting as essentially paramilitaries for the same actual military that the U.S. built and fought two wars for, right? Iraq War II and Iraq War III for these factions. So, I mean, maybe it was Khatib Hezbollah. I don't know if it was. But Donald Trump then launched a retaliatory strike against Khatib Hezbollah bases. In response to that, there was a big protest at the U.S. Embassy in the Green Zone where, you know, look at it. The government forces, the government we installed, let these guys come in the gate. Let it get to the point where it looked really ugly. And they were all, you know, I don't think they really rioted. There was a little bit of rioting. And somebody had spray painted somewhere on the wall there that Qasem Soleimani is our leader. Something like that. I don't read Arabic, but that was the accusation. Something along those lines. So then Trump kills Qasem Soleimani. Well, this would be like if if the Iranians had killed David Petraeus at the height of his popularity while he was lying us into the Iraq war surge or the Afghan war surge in mm-hmm. 2007 or nine, when they were portraying him like he's Dwight Eisenhower, the greatest general ever, our dear leader, and maybe he'll run for president someday and this kind of thing. And imagine then the Iranians had just assassinated him in Iraq. Yeah. That, and so this guy, he's probably the second most influential politician. I mean, for a general Second most powerful politician in Iran. There's mm. the Ayatollah and then Soleimani and then the president. Um, was I want to say Katami, but that's not right. Uh, Rafsanjani. No, 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 not Rafsanjani. Fucking, uh, uh, what's his good old, what's his name? Anyway, kill me later, man. I forgot the president of Iran's name. You're good. Um, but anyway, so he was the second most powerful guy, uh, Soleimani, and Trump kills him, and the Iranians respond with this missile volley where they deliberately missed and hit the very far corner of an American base. And then Trump let them get the last word. Mm -hmm. And his national security staff pulling their air out. They wanted Trump to go back and do something else. And Trump let the Ayatollah have the last word. You know what? I bombed some of these guys' bases. I killed your Soleimani. You deliberately missed my guys with your symbolic missile strike. Meh. I'm going to call that a day. Yeah. Now, you know, good enough for me, pal. You know what? I mean, I I wish they hadn't escalated a single thing there, but that could have been much, much worse. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the you know, like they say, only Richard Nixon could go to China because he would call anyone else who went to China a communist. Would let him do it. But since he's Mr. Right-wing anti-communist, if he goes and shakes his hand with Mao then it's not because he's a commie. It's just because he's smart and tough and decided this was the smart thing to do at the appropriate time. That's all, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the same kind of thing. If you can get that sort of conservative or, you know, pseudo-macho restraint, like, look at me, I'm Donald Trump and I'm rich and I'm tall and I'm terrific and fantastic and I have a lot of gold and, yeah, 
I'm going to go ahead and let you have the last word, Ayatollah, because I don't care. Because yeah. I'm so rich and tall and fantastic and macho that, yeah. you know, and that works, right? Hillary Clinton in the same situation. She's got to prove how muscular she is. Look how muscular I am, right? She Because she doesn't have any of that, any of her own kind of built-in right-wing, um, you know, protection from from that kind of criticism. So she has to overdo it always, or at least she believes that she does. And speaking of which, the breaking news today, Biden's considering – which I guess already means it's a done deal. It's going to make her UN ambassador. Wow. Which is just going to be a nightmare. It's going to be a nightmare. God, there's no end to the trouble this woman could cause as ambassador to the United Nations, man. Wow. Oh, I didn't know. oh God, it's going to be so bad. It's yeah. going to be so bad. I, I mean, I, I was just hoping she just left the scene entirely, but apparently not. Um, you know what? I'll tell you what. Biden without Hillary in his government is a hundred times better than Biden with Hillary, man. I mean, I mean, God dang, she was the worst thing that ever happened to Barack Obama, right? Keep your enemies closer, but now you're stuck with her. She's right here and you can't get rid of her, you know? And, oh man, wow. I'm telling you, they're going to, they're going to go back to war for Al Qaeda in Syria Right. It's going to go. It's going to be like the last four years never happen. And we're going to go right back to rebuilding the Islamic state, essentially, only under Jolani instead of Baghdadi. But whatever. Yeah. Um, do you know anything about any of the other officials that he's considering? Um, yeah. Well, so Michelle Flournoy is the uh, completely corrupt uh, board member of Booz Allen Hamilton and has this, uh, what you call it, executive advisors agency thing. She's been cashing in all these years since the Obama years. And, you know, Obama wanted to make her secretary of defense, but she wanted to wait for Hillary so she could be part of the big team with Hillary Clinton and everybody. But yeah. then Hillary lost. So she had to go back and wait and go and make millions of dollars uh, on corrupt Pentagon deals and, you know, advising and consulting with arms manufacturers and whoever. Um, but she had been, first of all, uh, she was one of the co-founders of the Center for a New American Security, which is like obviously the Democrat mirror image version of the Project for a New American Century. That was where they got the name from and everything, obviously. And then these were the guys who were the ringleaders of the plot to steamroll Obama into the Afghan surge in 2009. It was Flournoy and John Nagel and that whole group, Andrew Exum and all these guys um, from the CNAS that pushed all of that. And then she took her place as deputy secretary of defense for policy, whose job it was to oversee implementation of the surge in Afghanistan. So she no, no less worse than Fred Kagan or David Petraeus himself was one of the very top ringleaders in forcing Obama to do that surge. And then she was in charge of implementing it and lost. And so now she's going to be promoted to secretary of defense, yeah. this cross-eyed idiot. And you're going to take one look at her and go, Oh my God, I can't believe this person is in charge. And I don't mean to pick on her lazy eye, but man, you know, people really, they look like who they are, don't they? You know, some of the time. Yeah. And I say, yeah, well, um, so I'm also going through something that you posted, um, or Kyle Anzalone posted on the Libertarian Institute. Um, yeah. So the House Democrats penned a letter to Biden asking him to pick someone else. Is that is that still significant? Do you know anything about that? 
Yeah, I mean, I I read that. It's, yeah, it's one of the headlines at antiwar.com today. But yeah, I mean, that doesn't mean anything. Biden is not beholden to the left. Never has been. And this is part of how Donald Trump just lost. Is he should have been accusing Joe Biden of being Bill Clinton, or or more hilariously, just another one of Bill Clinton's mistresses, right? Yeah. Uh, no different than Hillary Clinton or any of these other clowns. Part of the old status quo that everybody wanted rid of. And instead, he said that he was a communist. Joe Biden, a communist? And the guy's a right-wing Democrat. If he was one hair to the right, he'd be a Republican. He's yeah. from Delaware. He's the senator from Delaware for two generations solid. Plus, right, for 47 years, the senator from the state where all the credit card companies and banks are chartered. Because it's like the Cayman Islands of America. The most permissive corporate legalities of any state in the union. He's not a Marxist. He's a Democrat. And that's different. And then so Trump is just swinging and missing. Oh, look yeah. at this guy. He's such a communist. But guess what? The fact that he's a centrist is the worst thing about him. Just right. tell the truth about him. He's the credit card company's guy. Mm -hmm. Like what? Americans are going to hear that and think that that's reassuring. Well, at least he's not a communist. No, they're going to be like, he's the credit card company's guy. Well, get a rope then. Right. He's the guy who literally, I mean, this isn't a lie. It ain't like a smear. You just tell the truth. This is the guy that made it illegal for you to declare for credit card debt. Right. He is the individual human being who invented that. Okay. The most responsible man. He's the one who wrote the Patriot Act. He's the one who pioneered civil asset forfeiture and mandatory minimum prison sentences and militarization of all the police forces by the military and Homeland Security and all this stuff. He is bad on everything. Joe Biden is George W. Bill Clinton, Bush, Obama, centrist enemy of the American people. Yeah. And said you want to call him a Black Panther. Well, he doesn't look like a Black Panther. Look at me not being impressed by an accusation that Joe Biden is a Black Panther. Yeah. That's stupid. You know, what's wrong with him is he rep he might as well be George W. Bush. Yeah. He helped Bush lie us into war. He might as well be Barack Obama. He held his hand as Obama started five more wars. Right? That's what's wrong with him is he's the American establishment. Not right. he's a dynamic, young, new, fresh, interesting guy with a different ideology. Hell, that's what people want. That's how Trump got elected. Right. Why is he going to give that to Biden? I mean, the whole thing is just stupid. You know, Donald Trump, people say they stole the election from him, and maybe they did. I ain't seen the evidence. Maybe we'll find that they stole 100,000 votes in 10 states. What do I know? But I'll tell you who stole this election from Donald Trump is Donald Trump, you know. Yep. He just absolutely shot himself in the foot a hundred ways, and yeah. especially by not ending the wars yeah. and sabotaging the Democrats that way, but also just demagoguing against mail-in voting. When he's right that the Democrats were taking advantage of the COVID thing to totally loosen the rules on who can vote and how easy it is and all of those things. But he should have met them on their own playing field and tried to beat them with that. Instead, yeah. he had a policy that made no sense, really. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to slander and smear mail-in voting as somehow evil and bad and corrupt for two or three months. But what's step two of the plan? There's no step two of the plan. Yeah. The secretaries of state in the 50 states in the union, 
They're not just going to go along with the president said a thing on Twitter. The fact is these are mail-in ballots. Maybe some are fraudulent. Maybe they're not. But to say that they all are is just bullshit. That's all it is. It's just a stupid, simple lie. And so you don't have a single, you know, prosecutor in America, not a single secretary of state in any of the 50 states, not a single black robe judge anywhere who's going to go along with this. There's not even a plan to go along with. He just sat there demonizing mail-in voting. Oh, mail-in voting, it's so bad. Well, all he was doing was suppressing his own vote. Yep. What he should have been saying was, look, we all know we're going to win on election day. Let's win by mail, too. All you people especially, you know, because old people skew right wing. Yeah. Old people also skew afraid of the germ. You know, uh, old people skew pre-existing condition, man. So listen, anybody who wants to vote Republican who's a little bit afraid of going out in public to vote, you know, without the social distancing and everything on election day, by all means, vote at home. Let's kick their ass by mail-in ballots too. And then boy, on election day, boy, is it going to be a landslide, right? That's mm. the whole thing, right? You should have engaged it positively and said they want to expand. And look, Donald Trump is a phenomenon in the sense that it's not the rich Republicans versus the working class Democrats. I mean, that's all gotten very scrambled where the Democrats are such elitists and and working people are culturally right wing. And so prefer to side with the Republicans. Right. So expanding vast numbers of, of ballots in hands of people who usually don't vote. That's not guaranteed to help the Democrats. If right. it was ever going to help the Republicans, it would have been this year. Right. He had at least a chance at it. And what did he do? He spent two, three months essentially telling his own voters, if you don't want to go to the polls on Election Day, forget it. Don't vote for me. I don't want your vote. You shouldn't vote because you'll get the cooties if you vote by mail. Stupid, yeah. stupid, stupid, stupid. And who told him to do that? I bet he made up the whole idea himself. As my yeah. wife told me, and she's usually wrong about Trump, but she goes, look, he just thought he could just be a bully and it would work out. He would just attack mail-in ballots and somehow they would go away. Well, mm. nope. Well, that's that was his tactic in the first debate too. Um, just be a bully, and it. I don't. I don't think the American people like that at all. But what it made the irony, desperate, right? Yeah. Right. And the irony of it all is that, like you said, Biden ended up conning both the left and you know the conservative right, and just being an establishment guy again. So. Yep. And it's really a sad thing because it means that, you know, Donald Trump, for all his faults, he stood as a major repudiation of the establishment. That's why they were so desperate to latch on to this Russiagate thing so much. All of them. I mean, a lot of them were CYA for playing a role in it. And so they doubled it. But so many people wanted to believe in it from the establishment, you know, liberal Democratic left, because otherwise they did something wrong. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, it's their fault that people reject their rule. And especially, like I just said, this whole narrative, I don't know, you might be too young for this. When I was a kid, at least the narrative was the Republicans are the rich business owning Christians and the Democrats are everybody else. <laughs> right. And so if, if it's their fault somehow that people don't think that way anymore, well, that sucks. They might actually not get a great consulting gig pushing their same BS next year. It's easier to say, no, Putin stole it. The American people love us. The American people never said, we hate you, go die. Not to us, no way, we rule at this. 
we're America's centrist establishment, each and every one of us a John McCain, and we know just what to do. And so Trump, he's just an aberration. Trump was a foreign plot. Otherwise, the American people, what they really wanted was one of Bill Clinton's wives to be in here and to be just the same as everything's always been under Clinton and Bush and Obama, who was just a Clinton yeah. and you know, all of that. And so now they never were repudiated. Now our repudiation, not that I voted for the guy, but the American people's repudiation of them by way of Jeb and Hillary Clinton in 2016 has now been rescinded. We've repudiated our repudiation. Oh, wonderful. The old establishment centrist consensus where everybody is John McCain is now back. You know, where Joe Biden and John McCain, they're even going to put Cindy McCain on the cabinet somewhere, health and human services or something, just to drive the point home. Right. You know, God help us, man. And with Hillary as UN ambassador, can you imagine, you know, when... I have to say, I've always hated Hillary Clinton so much. Oh, I just hate her. But then after she lost the election, she became the most hilarious person in the world to me. I just love her to pieces now because she's so miserable all the time. And I get so much shot and fruit out of that. You need a whole new word for it, man. I just her misery to me is just it's better than the blood in my veins. I need to thrive and survive and survive and thrive. And and um, anyway, so. I used to just cringe. Oh, Hillary Clinton's on TV. Just gah. now yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just give me more of it. I just love it. But and then so somebody sent me a thing that said Biden considering Hillary Clinton for his cabinet. And I'm like, yes. Oh, this is going to be hilarious. Oh, I can't wait. I wonder if it's going to be. It can't be secretary of state again because she right. was already secretary of state. You know? So, you know, yeah. And then they said U.N. ambassador. And I'm like, oh, no. No, that's not going to be funny. That's not going to be a funny at all. She's going to get at least half a million people killed. Yep. I mean, just forget about it, man. That's yeah. not hilarious one bit. I definitely relate to that, though. Every time I see on her birthday that tweet where she 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 tweeted out happy birthday to the next uh, president of the United States. And it's just her as a young little kid. It's hilarious. But, yeah, this oh, is man. this is scary stuff. Um, just to wrap up here. um, is there anything else about the Biden presidency um, that we should know the prospect of their foreign policy? I know um, it might be different with China, uh, relations with China. Um, but if there's anything else you want to say and then uh, pitch your social media, that would be great. Sure. Well, in fact, there's a headline on antiwar.com today. Biden says our treaty with Japan covers the Senkaku Islands. Which means he's saying that we would go to war with China over these uninhabited rocks in the South China Sea, right. which, you know, the one and only thing any president should have to say about that is we want to help come up with a solution so China and Japan can get along and share these goddamn rocks, whatever it is, something. Mm -hmm. And instead, I don't even think Trump ever said that, that yeah. our treaty obligation extends to the Senkaku Islands. So, you know, this is one of the tragedies of Trump, man, was, you know, the big three issues was the border wall, the trade agreements, and the wars. And they stuck with the first two when they had the least ability to really have their way on those things. He barely, he got some changes to the trade deals, but not very much. And he didn't really curtail immigration, illegal immigration to America, except on the margin, you know, and didn't really have the power to do so. But as commander in chief, he could have done it all. As, as a commander in chief, he could have brought home all the troops from all the wars. And right from the very beginning, 
um, Stephen Bannon, when he was still in the government, made a deal with James Mattis, the Secretary of Defense, that I'll tell you what, if you guys promise to escalate against China, I'll give up getting out of Afghanistan. Well, man, what the hell did you do that for? They were going to escalate against China anyway. That was Obama's policy before the pivot to Asia. Escalate everybody, try to get all of our friends in Asia to embark on this new extra containment policy against China. We're doing that anyway. He gave away Afghanistan in the first year, got an escalation instead for four more years of war against those poor people in exchange for men. They were already. What did you think that they that James Mattis didn't want to build more ships and sail them west from here? Come on, man. And just. So, you know, here we are at the end of the thing. Um, the, the whole anti-China naval policy has gone on this whole time. And the whole thing, everybody knows this. There's just no question about this. This isn't about the rising threat of China. This is about America's military industrial complex. It's exactly what it is. Selling big ticket items, Navy ships and long range bombers, hugely expensive pieces of equipment. They need an enemy. And so this is it. It's not a coincidence, man, that it's the Air Force and the Navy who are most interested in escalating and, and the Marines, I guess, thrown with the Navy, who are most interested in escalating against China. But it's the Army who is most, most interested in escalating against Russia. It's yeah. not because... They see those threats differently other than what they can get out of having them as threats. Russia's not moving into Eastern Europe. They pulled their troops back 30 years ago, and they're not coming back. They got mm -hmm. no reason to invade Eastern Europe. But we can recreate the Warsaw Pact as NATO and put American troops in every country in Eastern Europe right up to Russia's border and then say, Russian aggression, Russian aggression. We're protecting Europe in a defensive manner from Russian aggression, even though they're just standing there and not doing a thing. In fact, Hillary Clinton, our future U.N. secretary, um, apparently accused Putin of moving troops around right on NATO's doorstep, by which she meant from base to base inside Russia. Yeah. From base to base inside Russia. Why is that NATO's doorstep? Because her husband brought Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia into NATO. Moving troops around on NATO's doorstep. I mean, this is just bananas, right? This is me on your doorstep picking a fight, then complaining that you're moving around inside your own house. Right. Is what this is, you know? Um, the whole thing's bananas. And so that's the problem with China. And Trump's been horrible on it. He's given them a blank check to escalate it in every way. Mike Pompeo, the secretary of state, has done everything he can to get other countries in the region interested in creating a new kind of NATO over there, which luckily has not come to anything. Because mm -hmm. if you're Vietnam, you want to join America's coalition against China. And what do you get out of that, man? Yeah. They they like it when China doesn't invade them. They've been invaded by China over and over again and hate them. Why do they want to provoke them when right now they don't have a problem? You know, yeah. I'm I'm curious, though, is there is there any threat from China um, and to Taiwan? From, right. And, and from, to Hong Kong. But that's not us. Yeah. So from a libertarian perspective, is it just opening trade? Obviously, like this trade war has been awful 
but yeah. but what would you recommend? You know what? I mean, all the greatest libertarians, and and I'm no economist. I'm a great anti-war guy, you know. But all the great uh, libertarian economists, one of the first things they'll say to you, somebody like Murray Rothbard or Robert Higgs, first yeah. thing they'll say to you is, "There's no such thing as China." Right. Or the United States of America. What we're talking about, when we're talking about trade between these countries. We're talking about trade between individuals and firms in these countries. And so if you look at it in that sense, it doesn't really matter where they are. Right. It doesn't make sense in Austin, Texas. East of Austin is a town called Elgin. And in Elgin, they make really good sausage. Now, does it make sense for us to build a wall around Austin and keep Elgin sausage out to protect Austin sausage makers? Or we're just going to get the best sausage from the best price and we don't care where the hell it comes from. In fact, if you call it Elgin, we'll like it a little bit more because we know they've got a good reputation. But those are the breaks. Now, does it make any difference if Elgin is on the other side of Shanghai for the exact same equation? It's the exact same equation, man. It's just the same thing. And so, you know... Um, and as Harry Brown used to always point out, right? Like the, the John Birch kind of right wingers always say, boycott the Soviet union, boycott red China, starve them out. Why are we trading with these people and propping up these terrible regimes by helping make them rich and all that. But what's the other option? Hiring our government to act like a communist dictatorship and prevent us from trading with ever who we want to instituting communism in America tell bankrupt communism overseas. Yeah. Doesn't sound like a very good plan, you right. know, and 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 frankly, look, the narrative now is that, well, we listen to Milton Friedman and all these libertarian capitalist types in the 70s who said if we just encourage the the uh, communist regime to embrace capitalist economics over there, that the richer they get, the freer they'll get and the more they'll want to be free like us by following our system, because after all, capitalism is based on property rights. And mm -hmm. so. You know, it's there. People are bound to see infringements on their property rights as infringements, such as they are, and and want to stop that and want more liberty. And now they complain that oh no, well that was a big mistake because all we did was you know we we should have left them starving under Maoism. Once we taught the Milton Friedman and they got rich, now they're this terrible threat. But they're not free. They have essentially not a communist, but a fascist, authoritarian, totalitarian state there, right? Mm -hmm. Biometric face scanners and social scores and all this crazy stuff, um, you know, lording it over this one party dictatorship, lording it over the society. And so they're saying that, you know, the experiment failed, but they're leaving out the major variable. And that is George W. Bush and Barack Obama and Donald Trump killed a couple of million people in the name of liberty and freedom and democracy. They ruined the 21st century yeah. and they destroyed the idea that liberty is actually a thing, not just an excuse for George Bush to launch a premeditated murder plot. And so you could not possibly have had a worse public relations campaign for the American Declaration of Independence than having these lunatics in charge of the American empire over the last 30 and especially the last 20 years here. They've taken our principles of liberty and independence and self-government, and they use them as an excuse to wage a corrupt, blood-soaked world empire. And the only people who ever bought it were the Americans. Nobody else on earth thought, oh, good, here come the Yankees to free us. You know, other than Al-Qaeda fighters in Libya and Syria really appreciated the help. 
mm-hmm. the Iranians in Iraq, as I mentioned. Nobody we wanted to help. Nobody we were trying to fight for. And meanwhile, in places like India or China or Brazil or whatever, socialism sounds better. Socialism promises to save the lowest man. And, you know, like Christianity, no matter who you are, we'll give you three hots and a cot and all these promises, all this stuff. And so now communism and socialism are far more attractive to the powerless of the world than liberty. And why? Because we didn't prosecute and hang George Bush. That's why. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, Scott. Um, if you just want to pitch your website and then your social media and tell people where you, they can find you, please do. Sure. I'm the editorial director of antiwar.com. I'm the founder and the director of the Libertarian Institute with the great Sheldon Richmond and Pete Canones, Kyle Anzalone, who you mentioned earlier. Uh, great group of guys over there, Tommy Salmons. Uh, sign up for all our podcasts and stuff. I wrote the book, Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan. And I host the Scott Horton Show. I got 5,400-something interviews for you now, all of them at scotthorton.org, going back to 2003. And I wrote the book, Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and also The Great Ron Paul is a transcript, uh, a book of transcripts of all of my interviews of Ron Paul, 30 interviews of Ron Paul from 2004 through 2019 which I'm extremely proud of there. And, uh, oh, and I'm on the radio Sunday mornings on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Awesome. And I actually had the privilege to meet Ron Paul last weekend in, in Texas. And great. Yeah. uh, My life. Yeah. He's great. Greatest American hero ever. 85 years old and that sharp. It's, it's amazing. Yep. Absolutely. Right. But yeah, thank you so much, Scott. You too, man. Really appreciate it. It's the weekend and we can let go. It's the full send and it's the get go. It's the get go.